Christ is risen. Amen. If you'll reach for your Bibles with me as we continue on this Resurrection Day Sunday, continue with our worship service with the reading of God's Word, and turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Luke. We'll be in Luke chapter 20. Luke chapter 20. I will be starting in verse 27, reading through verse 40. Luke chapter 20, starting in verse 27. If you're in need of a Bible, there should be a pew Bible located in front of you. You can find today's scripture reading on page 1046. Luke chapter 20, starting in verse 27. Follow along as I read along. There came to him some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us, if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children, and the second and the third took her, and likewise all seven left no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as wife. And Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die any more, because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush, where he calls the Lord, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask him any more questions. Father, we come. Father, and we cry out that you are holy, holy, holy. Father, thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus, Lord. Father, that our debt can be paid for those that put their faith and trust in you. Lord, may today be that day. Your word tells us that today is the day of salvation, Lord. And may that be for some here who do not know you. Open our hearts, open our minds, Lord, that we would hear from you. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. To our Easter worship service here this morning, I am excited to see each and every one of you as we worship our risen Savior this morning. This has got to be one of my favorite times of the year. Easter is my favorite Sunday of the year. In my opinion, there is nothing better than coming together to celebrate the defining moment in all of history. That day, Jesus defeated death and resurrected from the grave. In an article called Easter in an Age of Terror, Craig Barnes points out that Easter is is both good news And it is also terrifying news. It is good news that Jesus came back from the dead. We celebrate that. But it is terrifying news because Easter confronts us with the awful reality of death. And it's this reality that I want us to think about for the next few minutes. And I want us to think about it in the context of a question. Is there life after death? At some point, we all wonder about life after death, don't we? It's it's natural to think about the afterlife because sooner or later, 
every one of us here is going to die. That much is certain. It's like the undertaker who signed all his correspondence, eventually yours. And he's right. Because death is eventually coming for all of us. In fact, the the Bible reminds us of this. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 9.27 that we all have an appointment with death when it says, and it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. And this is one appointment that no one will miss. A few years back, I came across a website, thedeathclock.com. Perhaps some of you have been onto this website. You can actually pull out your phones. I don't really encourage you to do it now, but you can pull out your phones and Google deathclock.com. It'll come up. Their slogan is this, the Internet's friendly reminder that life is slipping away. The death clock ticks off your remaining time on earth in hours and minutes and seconds. And all you have to do is enter some information about yourself and the clock begins the countdown. After entering my own personal info, I discovered my personal day of death is, are you ready? Friday, September the 14th, 2040, at age 73. That means I only have 17 more years to live, and then I die. Now, if you're like most people, you would rather not think about that. You would rather not think about your death. You would rather not even talk about your death. But ignoring your death won't stop it from happening. Listen, the mortality rate is still 100%. Advances in medical science may may extend your life, but no one here lives forever. So it's good to to think about life and death and, and what happens after we die. And so on this Easter Sunday, this Resurrection Sunday, let's answer this question here. It's in your notes coming up on the screen. Is there life after death? And here's the answer. Most people hope there is. Some people doubt it, though, and others outright deny it. Surveys reveal that the majority of people living in America about 75% believe in some sort of life after death. And yes, there are some who doubt that, and there are others who actually deny the possibility of life after death. I think Job in the Old Testament spoke for the majority of us when, when he asked in Job 14, 14, if a man dies, will he live again? And that's the question, isn't it? We all die. But what then? Is all there is ashes to ashes, dust to dust? Is is that all there is? And that now brings us to the story here in Luke chapter 20 between Jesus and the Sadducees. And it starts with this rather weird question, and it ends with a very surprising answer. Now, on the surface... We might assume that that this particular story here in Luke chapter 20 has nothing to say to you and I here today. And we would be wrong about that. For this story that Dane read for us, it, it presents us with an issue of profound importance. Is there life after death? The Sadducees said no. Jesus said yes. And this encounter between Jesus and the Sadducees took place about 
two or three days before Jesus was crucified. Jesus has now come into the city of Jerusalem for the final time in his life. And he knows that, that his own life is now short. He knows he will be crucified on Good Friday and he will rise from the grave on Resurrection Sunday. And so now everywhere that Jesus goes, crowds of people are following him. They are gathered around him to listen to him as he debates the religious leaders of the day. Now, most of the time, Jesus debated, and he deals with the Pharisees, who were the the largest religious group in Judea. But on this particular occasion, Jesus faces off against the Sadducees, who come to him with this rather absurd question about a woman with seven husbands. And from Jesus' answer, we learn a great deal about life after death. So look with me, if you will, at the Sadducees' absurd question, point number one. You might be wondering, well, who are the Sadducees? Well, they were a very select group of religious leaders with some very strange views. The Sadducees were, most of them were wealthy, they were educated, They inherited the priesthood, and so that meant that they ran the temple in Jesus' day, and they were also politically connected with Rome. What's also interesting about the Sadducees is that they they regarded the first five books of the Old Testament, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. Uh, So Genesis through Deuteronomy, those five books, they believed that that was the only authoritative scripture, and essentially they just kind of discounted the rest of the Old Testament. But the biggest reason that the Sadducees were what I would call a sad group of religious leaders is because they did not believe in the resurrection. You see, they believed that all you see is all you get, which meant that they did not believe in heaven, nor did they believe in hell. They didn't believe in the immortality of the soul. They didn't believe in life after death. That is a rather hopeless way to live in the face of the harsh realities of life. It also means that there is no accountability to God. Why? Because you live, you die, and that's it. The Sadducees, they had religion, but they didn't believe in a God who could do anything amazing in their life. They they didn't have a a great amount of hope or faith beyond what they could achieve in and of themselves in this life that we we see with our eyes and touch with our hands and and live in. They they can't conceive of a God who can do miraculous things or, or who is capable of creating all things. And this is sad because if your God cannot create then he cannot recreate, and he certainly cannot resurrect. And if he cannot resurrect, then that means he cannot resurrect you. But there was one man in Israel who threatened the Sadducees' whole way of life. That man was Jesus. And he was a direct threat to everything that they believed in. And so they now come to Jesus with a question that seemed absurd in that day, 
And it sounds even more absurd in our day. Notice the question again in your Bibles. I invite you to look there with me. We're in Luke chapter 20. Look at it again, beginning in verse 27. It says, there came to him some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection. And so they asked him a question saying, teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children. And the second and the third took her, and likewise, all seven left no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died. Now, here's her question. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as wife. So, what was the motive behind this question? And the motive behind the question is this. This question by itself, it was designed to make the very idea of the resurrection seem ridiculous. And so this was not a sincere question. They were, they were not sincerely asking Jesus, inquiring of Jesus, and, and, and wanting to learn from Jesus and know the truth about Jesus. That is not going on at all here. This is a hypothetical situation simply designed to show how ridiculous it is to believe in the resurrection. This absurd question was actually based upon the law of Moses in the Old Testament. You can, you can read about it in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 through 6. And this law of Moses said that if a man dies without having any kids, the next single brother in line should marry his wife and raise up children for his brother. Now, why would the law of Moses provide that? Because this was a very gracious, a merciful, loving provision of God Almighty in order to protect widows who couldn't earn a living as well as to preserve family legacies. But in raising this hypothetical question, the Sadducees took this gracious provision by God to a very absurd extreme. One bride for seven brothers in heaven. The very absurdity of the situation was an attempt by them to prove a point. And in this particular case, they were trying to show how ridiculous the resurrection was by asking Jesus who this woman would have for a husband in heaven after marrying seven brothers here on earth. And so the Sadducees framed the question precisely so that not only in their day, but now here in our day, we would laugh at the very idea of the resurrection. But let me tell you, Jesus was not laughing. Little did they realize how how flawed their reasoning was or what a bad question they were asking. Now, I know we have a few teachers here in our congregation And sometimes teachers will say to their students, now that's a really good question. But in this particular case, it would have been perfectly appropriate for Jesus to say to this group of people, that's a stupid question. As bad as this question was, it still needed to be answered, though. Because the Sadducees were attacking the very heart of, 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, this word gospel simply means good news. And what is it good news about? Well, it's the gospel is the good news of what Jesus has done to rescue us from our sins. And to be specific, the gospel, we might say it this way, is the cross of Jesus Christ plus the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. So it's the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In summary, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's good news. Why? Because by dying in our place for our sins on the cross, Jesus suffered the punishment that we deserve so that we now can live forever with God. But the Sadducees denied that there's a resurrection, and therefore they were eliminating half the gospel. Because if there's no resurrection, then there's no good news for sinners like us here this morning. Furthermore, if there's no resurrection, then that means there's no final judgment and therefore no need for the atonement of our sin. That is somebody to pay for our sin on the cross like Jesus did, which eliminates the need for the gospel at all. And so this is a very, this is an attack on the gospel and it is such a matter of life and death for us here that Jesus had to respond to this question. And that's exactly what Jesus does. Notice point number two. I invite you to listen to the Lord's profound answer to this absurd question. Now, there's actually two accounts of this story in the Gospels. The Gospels in the Bible, and there's four Gospels in the New Testament. You have the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Luke, and the Gospel of John. And all four Gospels are a record of the life of Jesus Christ. And each writer of the Gospels will record different nuances of the, about the life of Jesus Christ. So you have uh, differences, if you will, uh, not contradictions, but differences in how what they record. They're writing to different audiences. And so Matthew's Gospel includes a, a particular sentence that is not included here in Luke's version of this encounter. If you go to Luke, Matthew, I mean Matthew chapter 22, verse 29, we are told there that Jesus answered them, that is the Sadducees, and he says, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. And so this is Jesus' direct answer to the Sadducees in response to their question. Jesus told the Sadducees outright, they are wrong. It's quite interesting, at least for me, I find it interesting that Jesus doesn't say, gee, that's a really interesting question. That's a really interesting point here. Why don't we explore that together? Now, Jesus did do that sometimes. You might remember in John chapter 3, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Why? Nicodemus was sincere. He wanted to seek the truth about Jesus. He wanted to learn more. And so Jesus took the time to explain to him about his need to be born again. But this is not what's happening here. These group of religious leaders and such have no intent of learning here. There's no teachability on their part here. And so Jesus outright tells them, you are wrong in what you believe. And this word wrong that Jesus uses here, this word sometimes is translated as mistaken. So whether 
Jesus says, you are wrong or you mistaken. It literally means to go astray or to lead astray. And in this case, both were true of the Sadducees. They had gone astray themselves in what they were believing, and now they were leading others to go astray from the truth about the resurrection. And then Jesus tells them why they are wrong. He says to them, you don't know the Scriptures, and neither do you know the power of God. And so what Jesus tells them might seem a little harsh to us in our culture today, but it's the most loving thing that Jesus could do for them because Jesus is now exposing their ignorance so that they might come to a correct understanding of both God's Word and God's power. And so they are wrong on two points, and I want us to explore that here for a moment. Look at it first of all. Jesus says to them, you do not, you do not know the power of God. Now, by asking this absurd question, the Sadducees actually showed themselves to be ignorant of God's power. In fact, they underestimated the very power of God. You see, they, they started with life as we know it now, and they simply extrapolated it into the next life. But, but Jesus is telling us here that the resurrection It is not a continuation of this life as we know it, but rather it is a transformation of all that we have known. So not a continuation, but a transformation. Look at it in verses 34 and 36. We're now back in Luke chapter 20. And Jesus said to them, the sons of, pay attention, this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain that age, into the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. For they cannot die anymore, because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. So Jesus is making a very important distinction here between this age in verse 34 and that age in verse 35. And he basically says the sons of this age are people who are alive today. In other words, anyone who lives from now until the day of judgment, we are part of this age. And by the way, that's all of us here this morning. We are part of this age. And Jesus says that the marriage is a very natural part of this present age. But it will be different in the coming age when no one will get married. Thus, the question that the Sadducees were asking rested on a false assumption or a false premise that the afterlife is only a continuation of this life. But Jesus said that in some ways our existence then will be very different from our existence now. And one of those differences that Jesus is emphasizing here is that there is no marriage in heaven. Now, for some of you that are happily married, what Jesus said about marriage may come as a disappointment to you. In fact, for some, it may come as a shock to you. What? No marriage in heaven? Listen to what Tim Keller says. He writes, The greatest marriage that ever happened on this earth, the greatest sex life on this earth, 
the greatest oneness on this earth, the greatest joy on this earth will feel like a dew drop compared to the atomic bomb of what God has prepared for us in heaven. And so I would remind you, for us as Christians here this morning, that we are, quote, engaged to Jesus Christ, and we can only find our, our full satisfaction in our marriage relationship with him. In fact, the Apostle Paul later tells us in Ephesians chapter 5 that the very purpose of marriage is to point us to the eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so when it comes to life in the resurrection, Jesus is teaching us some rather important truths here. He's teaching us a truth about matrimony, and he's also teaching us a truth about our immortality. And this is where we really see the power of God at work. Jesus says that when God raises us from the dead, we will never die again. Now, this also seems to be the main point of the comparison that Jesus makes to the angels when he says that when we are raised from the dead, we will be equal to the angels. That's interesting. What does he mean by that? Well, this doesn't mean that when we die and go to heaven, we all of a sudden grow wings and we become angels. That's not what Jesus means here. It simply means that that just as angels never die in the resurrection, we will never die either. Do you you see, are you beginning to realize implications of this? That is our, our mortality. Listen, that's what makes this life so tragic. The tragedy that we see all around us across our world It's death. You know, have we seen a lot of tragedy in the last five years? More death than ever, it seems like. That is the greatest tragedy. And it is the result of sin in this world. But in heaven, Jesus tells us, the scriptures remind us, that in heaven there is no sorrow, there is no sadness, and this is partly because there are no funeral directors in heaven. After the resurrection, no one will ever die again. And so what a glorious truth we learn here in this answer of Jesus to the Sadducees' question about the very power of God. This is what the Sadducees underestimated. They did not know the power of God. And then Jesus also tells them, you do not know the word of God. And so Jesus quotes for their benefit and our benefit, because it's now recorded in the scriptures for us. He quotes a passage of scripture that the Sadducees would have been very familiar with. They would have known this passage that Jesus is quoting. Look what Jesus says, verse 37 and 38. He says, but even Moses showed in the burning bush passage that the dead are raised when he called the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. For he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Now, every Jewish person in that day 
knew the story of Moses in the burning bush that we read about in Exodus chapter 3. So why did Jesus quote it here? Because God, in this particular passage of Scripture to Moses, he identifies himself this way in Exodus 3, verse 6. Let me read it to you. Where God says to Moses, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Jesus is now reflecting on that story, what Jesus said to Moses, and he is pointing out something. He's pointing out a truth to the Sadducees here. He is pointing out something simple but very powerful, and that is the tense that God uses to describe himself. God says, I am. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Not I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the difference is between I am and I was. And the clear implication of this is that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are not dead. They are alive. And they are living with God. That's the difference between the past tense and the present tense. We talk the same way oftentimes between the past tense and the present tense. We talk the same way when we go to a funeral. And when we're talking about the person who's either been cremated or their body is now in the casket, we will say something like, now he, he, he was such a great friend. Oh, she was up. She was such a loving wife. Oh, she, she was a, a great grandma. And, and our terminology is always was, not is. We tend to think death just moves our loved ones into the past tense, but Jesus says otherwise. Remember, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection or life after death. You see, to them, death simply ended everything. But when God said, I am, instead of I was, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had been dead for hundreds of years. So God should have said, if that was true, that I was if death is the end. But God promised to be their God forever. And death cannot break that promise. And that is the very meaning here of verse 38 when Jesus said, He is not the God of the dead, but of the living for all live to Him. And so here is the underlying truth of our belief in the resurrection of the dead. God will raise the dead because he cannot fail to keep his promises. Listen, our God, who calls himself the God of the living, will not leave his people in the grave. And Easter is a reminder of that for us. Our hope for life after death in heaven, it rests in the very character of God. It rests in the very power of God himself, the same God who delivered Jesus from the grave on that first Easter Sunday, do you realize he will deliver you and I, who are believers in Jesus Christ, from the grave too? Therefore, the question, oh, the question is not, do we believe in life after death? But rather, do we believe in God? Listen, folks, 
friends, neighbors, family members, anyone that's here this morning, listen, there is coming a day when our bodies will be raised from the dead, a day when sin no longer is our identity and death will no longer be our destiny, but we will be victorious in Jesus Christ. And Jesus, he is pointing to the Sadducees and he's pointing us to that glorious day in the resurrection. So how should we respond now to Jesus' answer? The Sadducees raised the question, a rather absurd question. But Jesus answered it. How then should we respond to it all? I would encourage you, exhort you, plead with you, number three, to learn from the crowd's silent reaction. Notice how this encounter ends in verses 39 through 40. It says, Then some of the scribes answered and said, Teacher, you have spoken well. Well, that was an understatement. Jesus did speak well. But notice the next sentence. It says, and no one dared to ask him any more questions. Now, I can understand why the Sadducees didn't ask Jesus any more questions. You see, their whole purpose in asking the question, they were trying to discredit Jesus. And instead, what does Jesus do? He discredited their mistaken belief, their wrong belief about the resurrection. But I'm somewhat surprised here that no one in the crowd who was listening in dared to ask Jesus any question. Think about this with me. Jesus had just got through talking about what? He just got through talking about the resurrection from the dead and the afterlife in heaven. Would that not raise all kinds of questions in your mind to ask Jesus? Sure it would. You would think people would have all kinds of questions for Jesus, but we are told that no one dared to ask him any questions. But based on Jesus' answer, I would submit to you that there is one question that everyone here should be asking. And that question is this. How how can I be considered worthy to attain the resurrection of eternal life in heaven? Here's the reason I hope you will ask that question of yourself. Here's the reason I hope every one of us will consider this question, will ponder this question for you personally. It's because the truth of the matter is, not everyone who dies will go to heaven. Only those who are considered worthy. You see, Jesus says something that we must not miss here in this story. It's found in verse 35. Look what he says. Jesus says, but those who are considered, that word considered can also be translated as counted. So those who are considered or counted worthy to attain that age 
in the resurrection from the dead. In other words, what Jesus is making crystal clear here is that only people who attain the resurrection of eternal life in heaven are people who God considers or counts worthy to be in heaven. And if God does not count you or consider you worthy to live with Him for all eternity in heaven, then you will be raised to life to eternal judgment in hell. And that's the bad news of the gospel. Jesus is focusing here on the good news about the gospel, that Jesus came to give his life so that we will and we can be counted worthy. And this raises the most important question that impacts everyone here today. And that is, if, if, I, if I desire, if I want to go to heaven when I die, and if heaven is only reserved for people who, who are worthy to be there, then what do I have to do for God to consider me worthy or God to count me worthy to be with Him, to dwell with Him for all eternity in heaven? This verb, considered, or counted worthy, it actually means to be made worthy. That's important. You see, this worthiness is not something that you or I can attain to. It's only something that is done to us and for us. This worthiness is not something that comes inside of us, but something that God declares about us and is given to us by His grace through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. Listen, because of our sin, and again, the Gospels make clear that we are all sinners here. We are born sinners, and then we live as sinners by our choices in life. And now because of our sin... We are not worthy in and of ourselves. There is no righteousness. Paul makes this clear. No one is righteous before God. However, God counts us worthy in Jesus Christ. We know from the rest of the Bible that God does this on the basis of the perfect righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. And so we, we in ourselves, we here, we are not worthy, but Jesus Christ is. Amen. Hallelujah. That is our hope. And so now when we put our faith and our trust in Him, in the person and works of Jesus Christ, you know what happens? God now looks on to us and He counts us as worthy. We are worthy in His sight, not because of anything we have done. We cannot earn His worthiness. We cannot earn enough righteousness in our works to attain and be considered worthy to dwell with God for all eternity. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. He says, he says I, I want to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So in summary, here is how you and I, here's how we are counted worthy 
to attain the resurrection of eternal life in heaven with God. You must have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It is the only way. Anything less than that will not count. But the good news, oh, this is such good news. This is the best news in all the world. That this righteousness of Christ, this this is what Jesus Christ provides for us in his death and resurrection. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, this is our hope of Easter. Easter, now, today that we celebrate, Easter proves that there is hope beyond the grave. It proves that there is resurrection to eternal life for those who who trust in Jesus for their salvation. The hope of Easter ultimately points us to this question. Are you going to trust in Jesus for your salvation? Are you going to believe in Him for eternal life? Or are you going to count on yourself? And I'm telling you, if you depend on yourself, on your own righteousness, you will come up short every time. Jesus says, in John chapter 5, verse 24, he says, Verily, truly, I tell you, whoever hears my words and believes him, that is the Father, who sent me, has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. There's another phenomenal story in the Gospels, but it's found in John chapter 11, verses 25 and 20. Actually, the whole chapter of John 11 is where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Oh, I, I encourage you to go home and read it this afternoon. It's, it's a beautiful story of God's power, the same power that he gives to you and I now. And Jesus says in that story, he says this, he says these words, I, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he asks the key question. He says, do you believe this? You see, all of everything we've said so far this morning, everything you have heard, everything you have seen, everything Jesus says in this story hinges on that one question. Do you believe this? Do you believe there is life after death? And more importantly, do you believe in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, for your salvation? That is the question of Easter. Do you believe this? Not just that Jesus was was raised up from the dead, but that he he was raised up for you. Jesus was raised up to give you life now, new life in this age, but also eternal life beyond the grave. In fact, at the end of John 11, that story where, where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, he actually called out in a loud voice to Lazarus who had been dead for four days, and he says, Lazarus, come out! Jesus called him by name. And folks, listen, he is calling you by name this morning. 
The hope of Easter is personal. Jesus died for you. Jesus rose for you so that Jesus can bring you eternal life. And the question is, will you say yes to him on this resurrection day? Will you humbly come before Jesus Christ at the cross and recognize that you are a sinner in repentance of your sin, confess that to Him, and by faith receive Him as your Savior. And in doing that, you are receiving the righteousness of Christ, which allows God to count you as worthy to attain to eternal life. Let's pray. With your head bowed. And as your head is bowed, Perhaps your eyes are even closed. I just want to encourage you to to ponder and think about what you have heard here this morning. And ask yourself, if you're not a believer already, are you ready to respond to Jesus? If God is speaking to you, listen, now is the time to respond. As, As it was said at the beginning, today is the day of salvation. And you can... Pray to God even now, right where you're seated, in this moment, in repentance of your sin and asking Jesus to save you. I just, I want to give us a moment to do just that. I, I, I can't help but believe that there are a few, some of you, where God is speaking to you, he's tugging on your heart, and you know that if you were to die today, you would not be in heaven. And so will you respond? Will you cry out to Jesus? And there's even a prayer in the bottom of your notes. If you don't have notes, you can simply pray something like this. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus is the Savior who died to pay the penalty for my sin and rose again. I believe he is the resurrection and the life. And I want to turn from my sins and follow you. Please forgive me and save me. I receive your son Jesus by faith as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You you, you don't have to say the exact same words. You, You can pray something like that, even now. Our Heavenly Father, May your Holy Spirit draw men and women to the Savior. Would you grant your faith to those who do not know you? And may you grant the blessing now that someone would come to Jesus Christ and find hope in you as a resurrection in the life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Listen, if you felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart enough to where you cried out in prayer, and when I say cry out, in, in silence there, in your own mind, praying to help God to save you, we would love to know that. We would love to, to speak with you, to help you along in your spiritual journey. And maybe, maybe that's something you're not quite ready to do, but you have questions. You're, you're sincerely asking and seeking, and you're interested, and you would like to speak with somebody. At the end of the service, I'll be standing at the back. Just pull me aside and let me know. Pastor Chris is right here. You can come to him or pull aside somebody else in our church family.
and ask them, hey, I, what was said today is pricking up my heart. I want to learn more. And that's why we are here as a church. We're here to bridge the gap with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And perhaps there is a gap in your own life from eternal life, from the, where you're born in spiritual death. And we want to help you to bridge that gap, and it only comes to the cross of Jesus Christ. So consider it. Contemplate it. Let me leave you with this verse as the praise team comes on up. And we're going to end this Resurrection Sunday by, by singing to our risen Savior. And as we get ready to do, let me leave you with this verse in Romans 8, 10, and 11. Listen to what it says. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through His Spirit who lives in you. And it's all because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Will you stand and let's sing.